0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Health Podcast. I have a special guest with me today, Adam Schaefer from Mind Pump. You guys probably remember Sal, who I had him on the show. Gosh, it's been probably a month or two, probably two months now since he's been on the show. Um, had got a lot of great feedback and want to have Adam on as well. And so, Adam, thank you so much for taking your time out of today and joining me on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. It's always a goal of mine to make sure we do better than uh, however Sal did. So however many downloads he did, hopefully we pass it by at
0: least one. Got it. Well, I think he's currently my number one um, episode right now. So <laughs> okay, okay. let's do it. Let's awesome.
1: Do. Hopefully I got some fire for you then today.
0: Love it. Love <laughs> it. All right. Well, um, there's a lot of few different things I want to talk about today, um, but to kind of, I think what's gonna be best to kind of start into this, is if they know a little bit more about your story and like how you got into this fitness space and why you're into mind pump and all the other things like that. Um, and I think that'll kind of help us kind of open up and, you know, set a little preface of like where we'll go into the show.
1: Sure, sure. So uh, I fell into fitness at uh, 19, turning 20 years old. I actually was moving to the Bay Area to finish my kinesiology degree. My thought process at 19 was I'd already had two years in junior college. So I graduated high school at 17. I was young and I I had two years of JC. And I went to a junior college that was close to my hometown and i spent more time ditching class and hanging out with my friends than really chipping away at school and that's just not that's not my that's not my style i just kind of you know my my mentality was to get school done get out in the workforce start making money and i felt myself kind of dragging my feet and didn't like that allowed it to happen for about 2 years had some fun partying with buddies and stuff like that looked back after the 2 years and thought ah i should be further along what do i need to do let me remove myself uh, from my hometown where I knew everybody and had fun. And like, I'd go to the Bay area, San Jose, where I knew nobody. Uh, The only person I had out there was my grandmother. She lived in a little two bedroom condo by herself. She had been out there forever. I thought I'll go there. I'll have no friends, no connections, no nothing. And just, I'll just bury, bury myself into the books. And when I moved out there, uh, I I moved in between semesters uh, for De Anza, the junior college out there, and so I went to apply uh, for the school, get in, and I had like this little two three month time frame when I didn't have school getting started. So I got all my got my laptop and my desk getting all ready for. <laughs> You know, and in my head, let me tell you, I thought I was going to be knocking out like 24 units. I'm just going to like crush school, get it done with. And what I found was as I was trying to register for classes for my my very first time, it, w- it was very spotty. And so I was really frustrated around the gate that I had cla- like a handful of classes. They were on these random times. And I'm like, mm-hmm. just not the way I envisioned it originally. So I was a little frustrated at that coming up. And. I had started a, a part-time gig at, at 24 hour fitness. i had walked in to get a membership just to work out. It was across the street from my grandmother's house. And when I walked in, they had saw on the profile that I had written that I was studying for kinesiology. I'd actually purchased a national certification because I was interested in personal training, even though I didn't think I could do it until I finished my degree. Mm -hmm. And They they instantly grabbed the, the manager and he walked over and, said, Hey, would you like a job? Like, you know, and I was like, Oh no. I said, I don't have my kines degree yet. I said, I'm going to school for that. He said, no, no, we, we, we send you to 24 hour fitness university here and you could work right now. And I'm like, well, you know, I came here to finish my degree. So I'm going to school and he's like, well, you could, you could work part-time. And I said, okay. And get a free membership. And so that was actually the most appealing thing to me was getting a free membership. <laughs> yep. and I figured, okay, I could work part-time around school. And, and I also knew I didn't have all the classes that I wanted. So I was like, okay, this will work. And I started working and I just, I fell in love with a job. I fell in love with a job and uh, no joke. Every two weeks, my paycheck was bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, at that point in my life, I was a a kid who was coming from working in a small town where I started at $4 and 50 cents an hour. And I worked my way up to $7 an hour. And so I never made more than $7 an hour at that point in my life. And then all of a sudden I'm thrusted into the, this Bay area job that, I'm making 25 plus an hour, plus commissions and bonuses. And before you know it, I'm making pretty good money. And the, the, the management team up there, right before my next semester is getting ready to start, is trying to convince me to go full time. And he's like, you know, what do you think about full time? And I could see you moving up in this. And, you know, the way they got me was that national certifications uh, were as weighted as a degree was. And so he said, man, if you really want to keep furthering your education, he says, you know, you can take these national certs at home and we'll pay you just as much money for getting your degree as we will for this national cert. So you could take it at at your pace while you're working. And so I made a deal with myself. I said, all right, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, stop school. I'm going to go full time in this thing. I'm going to give it everything I got. And I committed to one year is what I said. I said, I'm, I'm still young, only 20 years old, one year. I'm going to bury my life into this business and see if it takes me where all these people are telling me it could go. And, uh, you know, it it did. Within a year's time, I'd been promoted up to an assistant and they promoted me up to a fitness manager. So by 21, I'm managing, uh, you know, a facility of 20 something trainers. I was actually the youngest trainer on the staff and now I'm leading that staff and had a salaried 401k benefits uh great career and i just absolutely loved it kind of never looked back because every year um for me got better and better and better financially and i loved it i mean that most important thing is i i really really mm-hmm. became very really passionate about training and helping people and and the money was good for me and so i, I really enjoyed it and, and continued on and i've always I've always been an entrepreneur by heart. So I've always had like little side gigs. I mean, as a, even as a kid, when I was in my in high school, I started my own lawn mowing business where I was knocking knocking on people's doors when I was 14, 15 years old. And you know I worked uh, side gigs with my dad in construction for a while or my stepdad. Uh, and then when I was working at 24, I did vending machines. I had a, a mobile detailing car business. I ended up starting a side business doing boot camps and so I've done a lot of little things on the side and I've always, uh, had a passion for entrepreneurship
2: mm-hmm.
1: and stayed there and, and, in 24 hour fitness for almost 10 years. And I, when I, when I tell this story, I normally say, I, I stayed probably four years longer than I should. It became a point where I didn't feel myself growing anymore mm-hmm. and knew I needed to step out of that role to challenge myself, but I was really comfortable, you know, um, mm-hmm. I would, I forget the name of that. Um, a trap that you get in where you are. I mean, I'm so comfortable that I I I don't force myself to get out of that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm making good money. I love what I do, but I wanted more for my life. You know, and in particular at that time in my life, it was money. At that point, I still had ambition to make a lot more money, and so I was very driven by that, and that was what was pushing me to move out of that. Mm-hmm. I took an opportunity in the marijuana business, which was something I had. No idea about, but I I saw the writing on the wall. I saw where everything was going in the cannabis industry. I saw all these medical marijuana clubs were starting to pop up in LA. They were then migrating to the Bay Area. And I had the opportunity to open and run two of the first four that ever existed in San Jose. And I made the leap purely out out of money. I mean, a guy, he pushed a number over across the table and said, listen, I'll pay you at least this much in your first year. Uh, if you leave what you're doing and what he saw was my ability to manage and run a team. And that's Mm -hmm. what he, he had visions of having 10 of these clubs. He was starting out the gates with two of them right away. He wanted me to manage it. I remember telling him, I have nothing, I have no, I don't know anything about marijuana. He says, I don't care. He goes, you know, people and you're good with people. And I need somebody to, to manage a team. He says, "I'll, I'll, I'll teach you all the marijuana stuff. I'll handle all that. You just, you just run hire, train, develop people and, and, and run the business. And, uh, he, you know, he offered me a half a million dollars and that was a lot of money to me, uh, back then. And that's what made me leave. I did it. Um, the first year I did not make that half a million dollars that he promised me. I made a lot less than that. And I was pretty frustrated, but it forced me to get creative and figure out ways to supplement the amount of income that I thought I was going to make. And so I taught myself how to grow. I became a master grower. I had a commercial grow. I had a, a little small connoisseur grow. I had outdoor farms. I built a team underneath me. I used all my relationships from mm-hmm. the cannabis clubs. I became this big broker in the Bay Area where I distributed all the cannabis to all these different clubs because I met all the, the managers and the owners when they first started. And so I leveraged all my relationships that I built in that, that industry to start my own little businesses on the side from there. I did that for almost three years, made a lot of money and found myself in one of the most unhappy places of my life. I was in the worst shape of my life. I just had a girl cheat on me. I had a falling out with my best friend. I wasn't spending any time with my family. Um, And I just, I was miserable, but I had the deepest pockets I ever had. But that was one of the most important parts or transitions of my life was to have obtained this dollar amount that I thought was going to make me happy. And instead, what I found was I was the most unhappy I'd ever been in my life. And that was really important to, you know, the pivot to Mind Pump because the work in the cannabis industry afforded me the luxury to not have to make a a decision right away. Up to that point in my life, you know, I had to keep the paychecks always coming in. I lived pretty close to paycheck to paycheck for most of my early 20s. Even when I was making good money, I was spending a lot of money. And so I always had to have a job. In order, mm-hmm. But for the first time I had stacked up enough cash that I didn't need to work for a while. And so I was in a position to go, OK, well, the money things kind of solved for me, at least for right now. What is it I really want to do? And I just kept my my heart kept pulling me back to fitness. I knew that I loved I loved the industry. It just didn't have a lot of money in it. And, and, but what I realized now is like, well, it's not about the money for me. I'm, I'm now at a place in my life. I'm 30, a little over 30 years old. And I recognize that, um, you know, money doesn't uh, doesn't equal happiness. And I had to maintain that. And now I wanted to really pursue something I love to do. And so right at that time, uh, if, you know, you go back, this is uh, 11, you know, 11 years ago, almost 12 years ago, maybe more now, 11, 12 years ago, at least. Uh, and, you know, Instagram's coming on the scene. Twitter's blowing up. YouTube's starting to blow up. Facebook's already been blowing up and you're starting to see all these people that are building these e-commerce digital businesses mm-hmm. and i really saw an opportunity to do that in the fitness space i thought okay if i come i'm going to come back in the fitness space i see the direction of social media and e-commerce and i want to build a business something around that and that like that was literally the antithesis of me starting my YouTube, starting my Facebook, start up until that point, I didn't have any of that shit. I was not a social media person at all, and I turned them all on with the intention of, okay, I'm going to build a business from social media, and let me start figuring this out. And so I began doing that a few years before Mind Pump, and I started, you know, posting on Instagram and clicking and doing YouTube videos. And I used my transformation from going fat to fit since I was in the worst shape of my life. Mm -hmm. It seemed just natural that, okay, I'm going to go into fitness. So I better be in good shape. So why don't I document that whole process and I'll share, share it. I'll Mm -hmm. share it with the world. And I also, I also knew another thing was I knew by putting it out there, I'm the type of person where if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something. And the, mm-hmm. the the pressure of that, when you put it out into the internet, it feels even more than if you just tell a buddy, like it's one thing to tell you a know. buddy, like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go get ripped or I'm going to go build this business or I'm going to do this, but putting it out to the internet to where everybody could see it and know it, I felt this immense amount of pressure, but I liked that. I liked the pressure of, okay, I said, I'm going to go get in the best shape of my life. So now I'm committed to that. And, yep. and, that means I got to get more ripped than 8% body fat because I'd never been below that. And I was at 20% body fat at that time. And I just documented the whole entire process and just slowly gained followers, you know, every day, every week, every month. And it wasn't like I went viral or anything like that. It was hundreds at a time Mm -hmm. that I just kept adding and adding. And I was got to a place where I had about 10,000 followers. When I, when I finished the transformation, I went all the way down to 7% body fat. I dunked. And I did the whole hydrostatic way and shared it with everybody. And when I saw that, how much attention that had grabbed me, uh, this is where I decided to compete. I thought, okay, well, if just going from fat to fit gained me all this attention and credibility that I knew what I was doing, then what if I took it to the most extreme level? What if I go compete with the best bodies in the world Mm -hmm. I share that process and I do it all alone. I don't hire a team. I don't hire a coach, which was kind of the MO, right? If you wanted to be successful in bodybuilding, mm-hmm. you looked up who the best coach was. You joined the, the most popular team because there's a lot of politics involved. And I said, well, I, I don't really care about the sport that much. So I wasn't really in it to like, you know, be the best or be in it forever. It was really like, let me just show people that I could do this on my own. Plus I know I'm competitive as shit. So if I sign myself up, <laughs> I was going to get after it.
0: Yep. Hey guys, real quick. I don't mean to interrupt this conversation with Adam. It's going great so far, but I just wanted to share with you that if you are getting a lot out of today's episode and this has inspired you to get started on your own weight loss journey and figure it out for good, I'm going to post my guide down below the 10 tips to losing your first 10 pounds down in the show notes, go grab your copy. And with that said, let's dive back into the show with Adam. And
1: that's what I did. I, I, I decided that I was going to go into to men's physique not knowing anything about it or really having a passion around it, but just a drive to show people that I could do it. Again, knowing that all of this was to try and, and build myself as an authority. Because in my small little town of San Jose in the Bay Area, I was known within my circle you know, of being a good trainer. And that was enough to, to have a very successful personal training business. But I wanted to go beyond that. And if I was gonna go beyond that, And I didn't, I didn't come off some TV show. show. I wasn't on covers of magazines. I needed to build some sort of authority. And my thought was, okay, I'll do that through social media by showing people how I can transform my body and like, and just telling them everything, giving all my knowledge, all my secrets, everything I've learned in the previous decades of training and and, uh, clients and myself. And so that was it, man. I really just, I just started to chip away at, at building the physique to go compete. And again, I'm very competitive. So even though I was doing it with the attitude that I, I didn't need to win, I wanted to win. And uh, by my third show, I took first place. So my first show, I took uh, fourth place. Then I went back. I took sixth place. They said I, I came in too big. And then by my third show, I took first place. After first place, that qualified me for nationals. I went to USA's. I won in USA's. I went pro. And then I did two more shows as a pro just for shits and giggles. Mm -hmm. And then by that time, Mind Pump was already starting to build. And we used my initial audience from the Instagram and YouTube to kind of promote the show. And by the time I had gone all the way from being an amateur to national level to pro, Mind Pump was also building simultaneously. And then there became a point where Mind Pump outgrew my social media name. Like I was no, I was more known for now the podcast than I was mm-hmm. for my transformation. And that was actually the time that I, I had changed my my actual Instagram handle. So my Instagram handle and all this, all that stuff used to be we love to hate Adam. And that was my old boot camp business name. And it became mind pump Adam when Mind Pump had surpassed the, the size of my social media following. And then that's what led to the business. That was the beginning of our, our initial following. So with that, because the other guys didn't have any sort of social presence. And so they really relied on my network of people online to get the first, you know, hundred or a few thousand listeners. And as you know, in podcasting, you know, you could even know thousands of people online, there's still a very small percentage of those people actually come over that won't listen mm-hmm. to the podcast. So even though I had like 20,000 followers on Instagram, which felt like a lot really only translated into hundreds yep. of people initially listening. And then it really became, uh, it you know, it was really important for us to get good at podcasting to grow the podcast. And of course a lot has happened since then, but that was really, the beginning of all this and a very long version of my story that I try and shorten up as much as I can.
0: No, that was great. I, I hadn't heard that full story before. You know, I, I'd heard like bits and pieces throughout that, but I don't, never the full thing from the kind of start to end. So that's really neat. Um, I, I want to unpack a couple of things that you had mentioned like towards the beginning of uh, some general themes that I've, you know, some things that I've worked on with my own clients, or I'm sure people that are listening could probably benefit to hear from you about. There's a common theme of removing yourself out of comfort. And going to that next level when maybe you you know like you said you're, you're comfortable at where you're at, and it's hard to make that next jump into the next zone or you know next area job career whatever it may be, but you know deep down that that's what you need to do, and so like and even even starting as back to when you made that first move from out of your area when you said you you know weren't doing the things you you know would like to do so just go somewhere where you knew nobody like it seemed like that was like one of the first times you kind of really. Put yourself out there and get uncomfortable. Like, what are some of the, like, how did you feel during those moments of like making yourself uncomfortable, basically? And how, what kind of growth did that provide for you?
1: Well, it's always scary. Um, but it wasn't my first time being uncomfortable, right? My, I'm, we, my parents moved around for, you know, we, I lived in nine different homes growing up as a kid, bouncing around because we were getting evicted all the time. Um, my dad committed suicide when I was seven years old. My mom remarried into an abusive relationship. So I had a very uncomfortable childhood um, and not, not by choice, but I realized on the, on the other, sen- other side of adversity and fear, right, that uh, resides success. And, and so if you can make it through those, those tough times, like I always benefited. And the, the paradox is the, it's the beta paradox that I was referring to earlier that a lot of people get stuck in, which is that comfort zone. Just this idea that, you know, uh, and the, and the, the way the, the study goes is this, people will walk a mile for, for if something is a mile away, but the minute that it, it's, it's two miles away, you'll get in the car to drive to it. And meaning that you will you would spend more time walking than you would if you would have just got in the car in the first place. But it's it's in a, a situ- in a place where it's not, it's not comfortable or you're comfortable walking that distance. So you'll choose to do it. It's not a big deal. Or you have a distance that is way uncomfortable to walk, so you might certainly do that. Well, a lot of people get stuck in that that zone in their life where it's like, well, you're not quite uncomfortable enough to make change, and so you just kind of stick there. You're not good. You're not really enjoying it. You don't like it, but it's not bad enough that you don't do anything about it. And so when I when I become aware of myself being in moments like that, I always try and push myself to the uncomfortable place because I know that it will force, it'll force me to take action. And I also know that we're wired as survival. Like our we're, that's how we're wired is to like the, and that's why how our metabolism works. And that's certainly how we work when it comes to work and our, our home life. And so knowing that if I put myself in a survival mode, the, the best version of me will be forced to come out. I mean, this is something that, I was challenged with, with the guys when we first started the podcast, because everybody was in very comfortable situations financially. And I used to say this to them all the time, like, man, this is going to be our Achilles heel in this business is that we're comfortable. Like, I know that you guys are so talented that if we were starving that we would be actually better. And there's been, there's been moments like, so there was a cool moment. in right before when COVID first hit, it really, uh, struck a lot of fear in the, the four founders, not because we thought we were going to be poor by any means, but we had built this company up. We had a whole staff and team and we had a pretty, pretty high overhead and, and it was really gnarly on what was going to happen over the next year to two years with, with COVID hitting and all these lockdowns and stuff getting shut down. And so there was a, in that minute, that moment, all of us got really nervous on what's going to happen to this business. And boy, it was so cool to see, The other three founders just rise to the occasion. We end up having some of our best months ever after that situation. And it was because we were scared. We were scared we were going to be, the business was going to die or that we would Mm go hungry. and, And it brought the best out of us. And so I've had enough situations like that happen in my life that I try and look for, I try and pay attention to that whenever I'm like, I'm not happy, but I'm comfortable enough that I don't make change to To force myself to become become uncomfortable because I know the best of me will come out. And so, yeah, man, that's that's something that I I try and practice. It doesn't mean I'm perfect at it. And there's times, like I said, in 24 hour fitness, I stuck around for four years longer than I probably should have. But uh, we we we're funny creatures like that. We we nestle into this little comfort zone and we get stuck in there for a long time. And the best of us comes out when we when we we challenge because then you're forced to you're forced to. And that, that, that those levels of greatness or that level is different for everybody, but I, I would be willing to bet that the best version of you comes out when you're backed in the corner. And so learning to try and do that as much as you possibly can, I think is a, is an important practice for all of us.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm going to, it might be a little bit of an interesting question here, but I'm, I'm curious, like, have you had any time or any moments, I should say where maybe you did take that leap of faith, you know, outside of the comfort zone and it maybe came across negative, something negative happened because of that. And the only reason I'm asking that is because I'm sure there are people that are scared of failing again, or scared of like the the worst case scenario. And so I'm just kind of curious on what your take on that is.
1: So the hardest part for me when when it comes to answering something like that is I've also, because of the hardships that I had growing Mm -hmm. up, I've learned to reframe every situation. So like, for example, uh, the mobile car detailing business, technically that was a failure. I mean, I only had it for about six months and then I sold it uh, because it it didn't take off. It didn't get off the ground. What I failed to realize was I'm trying to start this business while I'm running, uh, working 50, 60 hours a week at another business. And the, the idea was, oh, I will just hire a bunch of people to do the cars, I'll make the, the cream off of that and I'll pay them. And well, the 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 part or the mistake that I made was the the getting off the ground part of you know getting enough contracts and deals uh to you know warrant like no nobody's gonna come out and wash one car yeah. a day for you. It's like that's not a sustainable <laughs> job for them. And so mm-hmm. I failed to see that. And so I found myself. Uh, after hours, weekends, washing cars to hustle up that extra money to try and get this business on the ground, which was so unsustainable why I was running the other business. Now, I don't ever look at, if you learn, in my opinion, if you learn something in a failure, it's not a failure. It's a growth opportunity. It's a learning opportunity. And so well, I that's technically a failure. It didn't work. It didn't get off the ground. I ended up having to sell it, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot by, by going through that process. And so, you know, uh, I heard someone say this the other day and I thought it was really a, a really cool point is that you've heard of like winner? you've heard people say like winners win and losers lose. The mm-hmm. truth is winners lose more than losers do. Facts. Do. <laughs> yeah. The difference between winners and losers is people that are losers. They identify as losers. They lose once or twice. They're scared to do it again because they, they think they lose all the time where winners just have a different attitude, the way they approach losing, they they look at it as a learning experience, it's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, winners actually lose more than losers, they just have a different attitude about it. It's just part of it. It's just part, I remember, I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was reading a book, and I don't remember what book it was. But it was it was talking about um, the average millionaire, which back then at the time was actually, you know, now it doesn't seem like much to be a millionaire. Yeah. But it, in my, in my early 20s, a million dollars seemed like a lot of money, right? And mm-hmm. it said the average millionaire entrepreneur had, would have failed nine times before they were successful, before they reached their 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 big million dollar business or whatever. And I remember reading that. And the what I took from that was, oh my God, I'm only 21. I've only done like two businesses. I got to go fail at seven more <laughs> or I'm yeah. probably going to be successful because I don't think I'm special. I don't think I'm going to be the guy who hits it on number three. I'm probably going to take at least nine or in my experience, I've always had to work extra hard than the other guy. So if the average millionaire took nine, I'm probably gonna have to fail 15 times. So I better get my ass in gear and start failing. And so I just have a different attitude about it. And so that's all of my things that I took risk or stepped out and tried to do. Yeah, many of them didn't. In fact, Rarely ever does it pan out exactly how I thought it was or I wanted it to, but I've always found ways to. Like even that car detailing business, man, I I worked my ass off on the weekends to at least make up the money I spent on the business and then I actually sold the business for a couple grand more than I bought it for. So I still won in my mm-hmm. eyes, right? The business failed, I didn't do good at it, but I didn't lose my money. I still can't came, but I had, and I, I lost some weekends and some hard work for a little while and some frustration, but it was a great learning experience. I, I found a way to still recoup my money out of it. And so a lot of these, the, the, the marijuana business, I was told I was going to make a half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. For the first six months, he didn't even pay me. Oh wow. And then he started paying me like a couple grand a month and just kept stringing me along. So I had to figure out what do I do? What I do, I went down to Barnes and Noble Picked up five different marijuana books from Ed Rosenthal and all marijuana culture. Started teaching myself how to grow. Converted my garage into a, the first little miniature grow that I ever did. And began teaching myself how to grow. Shortly after that, because from all the practice, first crop came out. It was all right. It wasn't great. By about the third, the fourth, the fifth crop. Before you knew it, I was a master grower. I knew what I was doing. I had some top-notch stuff. My stuff was desired. It was It was paid and bought before i even finished it because it was so good so i so i've taken those situations that you know didn't pan out and i've found ways to pivot and 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 make it work and i think that has a lot to do with the attitude that you go into it like i i have a lot of passion around my ideas and i tell people when you have an idea or a business that you want to do be passionate about it you know mm-hmm. love it but don't marry it be open to the idea that it may look completely different than what you, you assumed it was going to be like, I mean, mind pump, isn't, I mean, aside from us selling digital programs, which we knew we were going to do, the business is so different Then there's so much more going on with it that I couldn't even have ever fathomed what it was going to look like. You could have never, I, I could have guessed a thousand times of, Oh, this, we're going to make this much in this area. We'll make this much money. And I would have never been able to tell you that it was going to look just like this. And so, yeah, I think that you have to kind of have that attitude when you're going into one, I'm, I'm completely okay with failure. It's an opportunity for learning. It's an opportunity for growth. Uh, I love my ideas. I'm passionate about it, but I'm also open to the idea that it may look completely different than what I anticipated. And then I know that I'm going to have to get several failures under my belt before I come really, really successful. So instead of uh, dragging my feet and having paralysis by analysis, I'm going to fucking hit the, hit the ground running. And if I hit a, hit a brick wall, I'm going to try and climb or climb over it or go around it until I hit the next one and get to those nine to 10 failures as fast as I can so I can get to that success. And so I think having that, that attitude uh, is, is, is extremely important when it comes to being successful or becoming a winner, right? Is being okay with losing.
0: Yeah. And you brought up a good point at the last minute that you said, you know, being about taking, adding speed to this, you know, failing fast is something I, you know, I've talked to clients about sometimes it's like, don't, don't sit there and dwell in whatever you're struggling with. Like if, if you're, if you failed, acknowledge it, learn from it and keep pushing past it. Don't just sit there and dwell in it. Like you said, like, I think that's what happens to a lot of people. And, you know, I'm going to kind of tie it in with like a, the weight loss piece. You know, people feel like they get started on their journey. They lose, you know, 10, 15 pounds. And then they just, they hit a, you know, quote unquote plateau or whatever it is. And they feel like, oh, I just, I'm stuck. I, I don't know what else to do. And they just sit there like, oh, I knew I couldn't do this. And they just start beating themselves up, beating themselves up over it rather than addressing it and moving past it, whatever it may be. Yeah. And so I'm glad you brought that up as well towards the end there. Um, Next, I want to kind of touch on. So, you know, you mentioned you did the IFBB Men's Physique Pro and stuff like that, and I want to talk about a little bit more of the mindset piece of like what it took to go into that and like what got you to that point. and and just to kind of give you a little heads up of like where I'm going with this is I want to kind of tie it into also, yes, its it's not as extreme like if if you're just trying to lose weight. but I do think there are a lot of things that coincide between, you know, having the mindset to be able to step on stage versus just trying to lose, you know, or even if we're looking at like extreme, you know, weight loss, you know, over 100 pounds. Um, you know, both are going to have some pretty similar mindsets.
1: Sure, sure. So, <clears throat> I talked about earlier about the having like these hardships in my life, something I pieced together um pretty early was the more difficult a situation was in my life, the better the outcome was if I If I persevered and made it through it. Mm -hmm. So if I had something that was ah, a little challenging in my life, I overcame it. Like ah, that was a solid win. That the, the the rush that you get from getting through that felt good. But if it was something that really just, you know, knocked me on my ass, maybe threw me into even depression, or really, really crushed me, but but I still made it through. I picked myself back up, I overcame it. Boy, the the feeling of overcoming that was far greater. And so I, I quickly started to realize that, boy, the harder something is, the more rewarding it was on the other side. And so I always keep that in the back of my mind when, I, when I'm faced with any sort of obstacle or challenge. And I tell you, uh, competing at that level was by far one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And so that was kind of the self-talk that's going on was that, fuck, this is hard this is take this takes another level of consistency and discipline that I have yet to face in my life. Never another level. <laughs> oh, no, total another level. I mean, there's there was no there was no real days off for three years for me. For three years, I weighed and tracked my food and didn't miss the gym and sacrificed a lot of fun things um, for the pursuit of this bigger goal and vision that I had. But I knew that if I could prove to myself that I could do it and I could get through it, that this would be one of the most reward and it, and it still to this day it's one of the most memorable things that I've ever ever gone through. And then look what it ended up paying me off with with mind yeah So not only did it, it it fulfill me internally, unbelievably it was and you know the, I'll never forget the memory I had at uh, Wet Republic with uh, David Guetta is, is, is spinning outside at wet Republic places sold out completely. I just, I just won my pro card the night before. So the places, I mean, if you could just imagine the pool completely packed full of everybody, I'm up top on this VIP area and I'm looking out and I literally can say I'm the most ripped dude in the entire place.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: But just felt amazing for that in itself. And I'm and I'm looking back, and I'm I'm standing there with Katrina, my wife, and she's just like, "How does it feel right now?" And I'm like, "Man, it's it's so it's so surreal." I said, it, "This has been a long time coming. We worked really hard to get here." Um, I remember telling her, "We're we're far from done, uh, but this is this was a big deal. It was a big deal that this all came." And she just remember being like, "Man, it's so crazy that you literally said you were going to do all these things, and to have watched you do it." For the last three, four years, and just be so focused, and for it to come true and and be here, she goes, man, it's. She goes, I never seen nothing like it, and she goes, it's got to feel really good. I said, man, it feels amazing, and I'll never forget that that feeling, that moment, um, and then again, that's what led to the building of Mind Pump, and so, you know, everything else to me seems pretty easy after doing something like that, you know. So there is there is something about. Going through enough hardships and challenges and overcoming them that builds this resiliency in you that you begin to look at other obstacles as no big deal, you know, but lose and to tie that in with the average client who's just trying to lose 30 or 40 pounds. Sure, you don't need to to take that same mindset as competing in. But, um, I do, I have a lot of empathy for someone who has a big goal like that. It, it does take a lot of consistency, you know, maybe you don't have to be perfect cause you're not getting on stage and someone's not, you know, judging you, mm-hmm. but you know, to lose 50 pounds of, of body fat while also probably, you know, having a career, maybe even being a father or a mother, like having a lot of other responsibilities, like, man, that's a, that's a, that's a lot. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a lot. That's why a lot of people fail because. It's not like a quick thing that you can do. It, it takes a, a, a long commitment to achieve something like that. And along the way, you're guaranteed to have setbacks and challenges, not just physically, but also mentally. Like I, one of the probably most rewarding things uh, to go through with the the competing thing too was the, the learning process or the learning curve of, wow, like even... Even though I'm perfect, measuring, weighing, staying consistent, there still was this kind of ebb and flow of the results coming on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, something that that I always would convey to clients and we convey on the show is that man, I, I'm dialed, I'm perfect, I'm consistent, yet I still have these weeks where I would look in the mirror, I get on the scale, and then scratch my head, like, damn, I'm I'm not improving. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's <clears throat> that's really difficult. Uh, When you are busting the ass in the gym, you're making sacrifices on eating. Now, luckily I had this massive goal. And so I knew I was going to keep pushing through and I'll figure it out, but I try and let clients understand that even for someone like me, even at that level, I understand what it's like to feel that way. So I understand how frustrating it can be for you because you've been eating really good for the last three weeks and training really hard in the gym. And then you get on the scale and you really don't see much of a change, or you look in the mirror the next morning and you actually feel worse than you did the day before. It's really easy just to throw your hands up and and give up, but you've got to work through those things. And and part of that is also understanding how different foods affect our body, uh, especially when it comes to things like water and sodium retention um, and the carbohydrates pairing with water. And that can give you a different look, right? So and that was, you know, even being a trainer for a long time, it was something that I, I had never seen on myself uh, visually on that level. And it really gave me the words to communicate better to my clients when they, when they would struggle. Because I get clients sometimes, and I'm sure you've had this, where they they say they're doing everything you tell them to do. And, you know, they, they get up and they're just like, I don't, I don't feel like I look better. Like what's <laughs> what, what's going on. And now I have better words to explain that. First of all, I I never want to compare you from yesterday to today, or even just last week to this week, because a lot can happen stress wise, um, extra water, more carbohydrates, a little extra sodium. And the difference of you having, you know, two or three things in your diet yesterday, even though they're good and they're healthy, but higher in sodium. And then you drink three or four more glasses of water. Maybe you have 20 or 30 more grams of carbohydrates all within your calorie budget, your trainer set for you. But all those things result in you potentially holding more water for the next 72 hours. And so then you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, my God, I I look worse today than I did three days ago. And I've been on my diet and I've actually done cardio twice or trained twice. Well, understanding that your body's holding on to water, it'll take about 72 hours for that to release and then judge yourself or pay attention to how you look compared to that or you don't realize that you're eating a food that you're intolerant to because it's one of your favorite foods you eat it all the time mm-hmm. but you had no idea that your body recognizes it as a you know foreign invader into your bloodstream and then you start to retain water and it's just enough to where you don't feel like it's a bad it doesn't hurt you it doesn't it doesn't maybe send you to the toilet right away mm-hmm. but it's enough that your body swells a little bit because it's inflamed because it is something that the body recognizes as an, an intolerant food and you don't realize it. And that's enough to change the way you look or even a pound or so on the scale. And so all those things can really discourage a client who is busting their ass to lose that, you know, that last 10 or 15 pounds or been chipping away at their big hundred pound goal. And they have, and so you really got to you really got to have this long-term goal, recognize that there's going to be these kind of ups and downs along the journey. Don't freak out when you have those ups and downs, stay the course, work through that, give yourself like longer periods of time to judge if you're doing a good job, you know? And so stretch it out over three weeks and go, Hey, if I stay consistent for three more weeks, let's, let's look at those pictures. Let's look at that scale compared to what it was three weeks ago. And I bet you that you'll be fine. But, If you're doing that every day or every week, you can see a lot of these kind of potential ups and downs. And that's all it takes sometimes for a client to give up. Now I knew because I was competing and I was literally tracking everything I did. I knew I wasn't doing something wrong. I mean, but I just didn't understand what was going on until I really looked, I was like, oh, I noticed, oh, my water was a little higher. Oh, I did have some more sodium. Oh, I did have a little bit more carbohydrates. Wow, that's enough for my body to look that different. And of course, when you get all the way to the, stage ready level you it's totally that. like what what peak week is all about is manipulating carbohydrates water and sodium in that final week and that's that could be the difference between first place and 10th place just what you did with your water and carbs and sodium the last week so that's how much that can manipulate the way a body looks and I learned that because I went through competing I didn't I didn't I I kind of knew that as a trainer, but I didn't, I didn't really fully grasp it until I watched it on my own body, and I and I saw the psychological hurdles that it caused me. Mm-hmm. So here I understand the science. Here I know that's possible, but until you actually go through it, feel it for yourself, and then also feel the frustration or the challenge from it, it didn't give me the words to communicate that to my clients until I did that. So that was one of the most rewarding things for me, uh, as far as making me a better coach. For my clients who, let's say they're not competing, but then they do go through those times where they're challenged by this fluctuation in weight or they see themselves in the mirror, but then they feel like they're doing good work. And I, it's like, whoa, pump your brakes. You are doing a good job. If you're if you're telling me the truth, you really ate this way, you really did all those things, hang tight. Like, let's see what happens over the next week and see if that all levels out. And then we'll make a decision on what we should do versus what most people do is they they do that and then they overcorrect. Mm -hmm. And the next day they cut way back on their calories, they bump up their, their cardio like crazy. And they don't realize that they're making it worse for themselves by making a decision like that when they were already doing really good, they just were holding on to a little bit of water.
0: Yep. I think that all that, like what you just said, like I usually sum up with like, you know, of course it's a phrase I always explain like that, but trusting the process, basically like if, if, if something's working for an extended period of time and then it stops working for a couple of weeks. A lot of times, just a little bit more patience, you'll start to see results. And and like you said, like at that point, if you know we go another three, four, five weeks and we're still not seeing anything, then we can maybe start looking a little bit deeper and like make some changes. But a lot of times it's just give it a couple extra weeks and you'll be fine. So I want to also kind of, you know, towards the end here, I want to ask you, after you finish up the bodybuilding and stuff, and, you know, I want to kind of compare this a little bit more towards you know, that kind of like that reverse dieting process for you and kind of like the diet after the diet, basically, like when you were coming off of the stage, you know, obviously you're not like ready to step on stage at any moment right now. So like where, 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 how did you make that transition to then work on like maintaining a body composition that you were happy with? Kind of comparison to somebody who lost a lot of weight. Now they're trying to maintain that weight and maybe they don't maintain their exact lowest number they were at in a deficit but you know, their new maintenance weight.
1: Okay. So there's, there's two things in that one, there's a conversation around reverse dieting with, which is its own conversation. And then there's the, the thing that I think is more important, I think for the general population and what I think that, um, it's taken me almost 40 years to get really good at, which is learning to have a better relationship with food and exercise. And what I mean by that and that why I even admit that even at 40 years old, I'm still getting better at that is that, you know, we, we tend to have these behaviors <clears throat> around, around food and exercise that really don't, <laughs> don't favor us much. Meaning like when, when I uh, would make a choice to eat ice cream or, you know, add junk food in the diet or over con- chips and dip and overconsume, consume, it was rarely ever when I was dialed in and consistent on my training. It was, you know, when I'm dialing consistent my training, I'm also, you know, I like feeding my body well. And I want to make sure that I'm getting all the protein that I need so I get the most benefits from lifting the weights. And so I tend to have this, I tended to have this off on type of relationship with exercise and nutrition for most of my life. And so I went through these like stages of I'm in really good shape. I'm in not very good shape. I'm in really good shape. I'm in not very good shape versus I'm always in pretty good shape. And that's where I'm at in my life now where I never let myself completely go in and and what I and I would consider myself out of shape right now, but out of shape for right now is in better shape than some of my good shape in in the 20s. And a lot of that is less. Well, there's two things there. One, the beauty of lifting weights for years and years and years is that it actually gets easier. So the body gets used to having all this muscle. It wants to have that muscle because I've trained it to have that much muscle for so long that all I have to do is go back and touch some weights. And then my body remembers that. And then it comes back on so long as I'm I'm, I'm feeding myself correctly. So that that's a big part is, is knowing that uh, that's easier. And then the other part that is easier is the relationship that I have with understanding okay, I'm not training hard or consistent right now. So I need to adjust the diet. And yes, I still have those cravings for all those foods I like. But instead now, instead of telling myself, no, I can't have it. I'm gonna say, well, I, didn't, I haven't been training consistently. I shouldn't eat it right now. I'm not taking care of my body by allowing that food in the diet at a time like this. And if I really want it, <clears throat> then I'll, I'll set like little mini goals for myself. If I really want that ice cream. I really want that treat. Okay, I'll have it. But then what I need to do is I need to have these next three days training really good, eating really clean, and then I'll have that. And what I always find is when I tell myself that, and then I have those good days of eating and training, I really didn't want it that bad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so learning to kind of ebb and flow with what's going on in my my life and always shaping the the way I eat and my eating behaviors around my exercise behaviors and not having this on off relationship, which I think a lot of people have that. I don't think I'm alone in this, even being a a trainer. um, If I imagine if I struggle with that, probably most people struggle with the same thing. You know, when they commit to something, they're good about doing it. When they're off, then they're off and they have the attitude of fuck it. And the unfortunate part of that is that's where the real big swings happen. I mean, obviously, right? So my training volume is really low right now. I've been really inconsistent with lifting. I just went through, I've a, a, a been in the middle of a move. Uh, and so I just got a lot going on. My son got really sick. Katrina just threw her back out. So I haven't been able to get in the gym as much as I would like to be in the gym. So I have to really pull back on the, the way I'm eating. And I've just learned to do that now. And, and then what I noticed is, okay, yeah, so I'm not as muscular as I am when I'm hit the gym three, four times a week because I've only made it once in the last 10 days. But I also didn't put on a bunch of body fat because I didn't keep eating like an asshole when I wasn't exercising. And so I actually think that that is probably, and the reverse dieting is one thing, coming out of a show and, and, and getting okay. into your goal. I think that's one thing. But then I think something that's more important is teaching people how to have better better balance and, and that nutrition exercise relationship? Because the reality is, even if you're on this hardcore kick and you get in really good shape, there's going to be periods of your life where you're not. You're going to be on vacation, say, for two weeks sometime, you're going to have an injury sometime, you're going to have busy with kids, overtime with work. Holidays. So, <laughs> yeah. Holidays. So what do you do in those times? So I love getting my clients and and, and teaching people to learn to navigate through the periods when you're not eating or you're not exercising, you're not doing so. How do I manipulate my diet during those times? And then, if I really want some of these other foods, well, having a 700 calorie, you know, pint of ice cream. Doesn't do a lot of damage when I'm weight training five, six times a week. I can afford to have that in the diet every once in a while. I can afford to go have five guys burger and fries every once in a while when I'm training hard in it. But then when I'm not, I can't get away with that. And so I don't tell myself, oh, I can't have it. I just say, hey, I haven't been trained that way. I'm going to have something lighter, lower on the calories, stay disciplined during that time. And if I really want those things, then I should earn it. I should go put the work in. I should go lift the weights. I should go train. And then I'll reward myself on Friday and we'll go have five guys. And if I don't, then I don't want it that bad. That's how I look at it. And so that has really allowed me to stay in a much healthier fit place long term. And I don't have these big swings anymore where I get way out of shape and then I get really ripped and then I get way out of shape and I get really ripped. And I think the the fitness culture is like that, you know, we, we promote the the cheat days, even your competitors at the highest level, they they get ripped for a show, and then they they you know dirty bulk afterwards like crazy, and so it's part of the culture. And I think it's it's not healthy, and it's not a healthy um, relationship to teach your clients. So to me, that message is the most important. And then reverse yes. dieting once you get when you get to a place where you hit your goal and you get really ripped or whatever it was. Um, and you did it through dieting over an extended period of time, then yeah, a mistake that happens a lot of times is people go, oh, I made it, you know, and then, then they go fucking bananas. And then all that hard work for the last six to eight months, they almost get rid of it in two weeks. I mm-hmm. you know, just let it go. And there's also <clears throat> another like bit of a mind fuck from that is <clears throat> when you've been calorie deprived and training consistently to diet for whatever reason, and you get you get in good shape, the the mind fuck or the the challenge that a lot of times you have is when you first initially start eating like crazy you look better because you're you you have there's a term that we call in in bodybuilding the flat look because your your muscle bellies are full of water and glycogen when you are depleted in calories low calorie you don't tend to hold on to all that water and glycogen in your muscles because they're, it's kind of sucked out. And that's what you're doing in order to, to be in, a, in a, a, a caloric deficit long period. And then you all of a sudden you go, you eat the five guys, you got ripped, right? you you hit your goal. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm in the best shape of my life. And then you're like, all right, let's celebrate with the guys. And you go out and you eat burgers and fries. You have some drinks. you wake up the next day and you're like, Oh shit, I look better today. <laughs> that I did yesterday. And I just slammed like 5,000 calories of junk food. And so then you go like, Oh, mm-hmm. you start, you start justifying why you can do that. And, and you, and, and so, and depending on how ripped you got the, the better you might look, I'll never forget my second show. This happened to me. I got so depleted that when I hit a uh, stage, <clears throat> this is what I took sixth place. I didn't, to me, I, I remember looking, going like at the pictures, like, ah, uh, I definitely didn't peak like I wanted. And then I went and had my, my cheat dinner and ate like crazy. And then I took a picture the next day and it was like, oh shit, I look hella better. And then I ate like crazy the next day. And then that day I looked even better. It was actually oh, wow. like day three of like super high calorie three, four days in a row. And I kept getting better and better and better. And really all that was, was my body was filling out and thanking me. Cause it was so deprived. And so that can really mess with your head of a little course. bit. You start going like, Oh, Oh yeah. I can get away. <laughs> then once, the, yeah. once all the muscle bellies are filled up, you don't look emaciated anymore. You're at a healthy body fat percentage. Then it starts to creep up real fast. And then before you know it, you tip over the other side. And so, yep. yeah. So understanding that as you're, you're reverse dieting out, you know, when you hit your goal is to, to slowly bring that back up because it will, it'll creep up on it. And more importantly, what will happen is the is the psychological part is that you will start to play games with yourself saying like oh it's okay and then you keep doing more and more and more and then that gets out of control and so to me the most important part about the reverse diet is just keeping those behaviors in check like yes i understand the science that if you binge really hard afterwards that you actually can grow fat cells that makes it more difficult for you to lose fat the next time so you're also making it more challenging physiologically to get leaner the next time by doing that too so there is a bit of that that's happening and important to know, mm-hmm. but I think the behavior stuff is even more important. The fact that you just start playing mind games going like, Oh, I can get away with this. And so mm-hmm. keeping that in check. So I think of the, the two weeks after getting in shape is just as important as the first two weeks when you started to get in shape. And so I kind of treat the same way of coming out of the diet. So you can get to a, a healthy place where your body is filled back in you're eating a good amount of calories and then you have a place that you can maintain that. And so that's what you're looking for with everybody is finding that sweet spot of where they feel satisfied calorie-wise, mm-hmm. but not starving to look a certain way. And so, and the reverse diet is what should help you get there.
0: Yep. Awesome. Uh, one more question for you, Adam, before we wrap it up here. Um, I always close the show asking my guests every time, if you could give advice to someone who's wanting to lose, you know, start a start weight loss journey, whatever amount it may be, what are the first two things you're recommending they start with?
1: Somebody wants to lose 20 pounds,
0: 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, wow. 50, okay. whatever it may be. Somebody
1: who's starting their weight loss journey. Yeah. So one of the best strategies for this person that it took me a long time to figure this out um, is actually not to take away. And that sounds really counterintuitive because that person is probably going, I eat way too much. That's why I feel this way. Or this is why I'm fat. Right. Right. But what it is is you you ate too much of the wrong foods. That's what got you there. And instead of playing the game of I can't have this or I got to cut this out, set goals of what you want to bring into your food. We talked about this recently with our and that, by the way, this applies to other things than just diet. I I, I find this in uh, being a father, right? So um, my son, I'm I'm he's three, going on four years old. I've talked about my fear of him getting addicted to the iPad and and TV. And I don't, I want to really manage his, his technology usage. Right. And originally I was asking people like, you know, how do you set parameters around, you know, your son, how long do you let him do it for? Do you only let him use these things or like, like I'm, I'm asking all these dads, like their strategies and stuff. Mm -hmm. It dawned on me. I actually just shared this in the show just a couple, like a week ago that I was going about it wrong and a better strategy is the same way I teach a client around diet so instead of telling my client like oh you can only have this and cutting all this back and then playing this game with them where I'm telling them they can't do things just like my son saying you can't you can't have ipad here instead i'm my goal as a father is to introduce things and keep him busy doing other things Mm -hmm. So he doesn't even have time or doesn't even have a desire for those things. The same concept goes for dieting. So if instead of saying you can't have and you're always trying to cut and restrict, you know, as coaches and trainers, you know, one of the first things you do is you kind of assess a diet. And almost always when I assess somebody who needs to lose 20, 30, 50 plus pounds, their diet's all off. I mean, they're they're over consuming saturated fat. They're under consuming uh, protein, they're under consuming fiber. They're eating too much sugar. Uh, they don't get enough vegetables. I mean, the list goes on They're They're, they're missing so many things. I have plenty of things to work towards. Mm -hmm. And so what I'll normally do when I start someone all that, instead of like starting them off with this meal plan that is radically different than what they do, I look at their diet. I, I pick one of those things and go like, so let's just say the fiber one. You know, they're, they're, uh, which by the way, will help their digestive system. They'll make them feel better. Their energy will start to go up. Like, so I'll go, All right, Susan, I, you know, you gotta lose 50 pounds. And she's sitting there and she's like, Oh, he's gonna tell me I can't have McDonald's. I gotta Mm -hmm. stop, set out the soda. I don't say none of that. I just go, What I want you to do for now, for the next two weeks, is I want you to add two large servings of vegetables. Could be anything you want Brussels sprouts, broccoli, green beans, big salad, whatever your favorite is. Two times in the day, anytime you want, and she normally goes like, "That's it." Like, what about the the sodas and what? And like, we'll get there. I'm not worried about that right now. Right now, what I want to first address is your digestion. I recognize that you you've already mentioned to me that you were having issues with your stool and stuff like that. I see that we're we're grossly under consuming fiber. I want to get that in check first and help you. That'll auto right away make you feel better. And let's just start with that, and then I'll I'll add stuff later. And they're like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's all I want you to do. And they normally leave like, oh, this is cool. I still (laughs) have my McDonald's. Like I still have my Coke. They don't even realize what I just did to them, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then they come back and a lot of times what's happened is they've already started to lose a little bit of weight. And they're like, hey, we lost a couple pounds on the scale. And then normally what I'll do is I'll I'll mess with them even more and go like, wow, I don't want us to lose weight yet. I want us to add something into your diet. Like We're not trying to lose yet. I really want to build (laughs) We're going to build your metabolism up. So it's easy to lose weight for you forever. And they're like looking at you kind of sideways and I go, okay, you know, now what I want you to do is I see we only get about 70 to 90 grams of protein. I want to make sure that you hit 110 grams of protein every day, somewhere between 110, 130. That's our new goal. Don't worry about anything else. Make sure you're doing your vegetables. Like I told you. And then now we hit that protein every single day. And then they leave again going like, God, what's I can't have, you didn't say I can't have, no, you can have that. I'm not saying you can't just make sure you do these things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they add that. And then what you, What they start to do is they naturally end up replacing those other things with these nutrient dense foods.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they're also filled up more because they're not eating these foods that are all processed and makes them crave more foods.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I just keep doing that to them. And so even if I, if you weren't my client and I'm just giving this advice to the average person, that's how I would start. Is I would first look at, and and I think there's tremendous value for anybody listening to at least get a, either a nutritionist or a trainer to look at your diet and, and to figure out, or we have free sources on our our macro calculator online, figure out where your macros are supposed to be. And instead of looking at your diet as I can't have this, or I got to cut this out or restrict, go after things Mm -hmm. after what your body needs to be healthy and what you will find is as in pursuit of that the other stuff will start to fall aside and the most important part about all that is the the psychological part for the client is that the the game of telling them that they that they can't man when you tell that to somebody again like we have we have this this uh this animal instinct to survive we also have this animal instinct to rebel, mm-hmm. rebel survive or like just these they're they are ingrained in all of us so if you tell a client you can't do this you can't do that you can't do that deep down inside they want to rebel that so once you flip the psychology on them and you don't tell them they can't have you just say i want you to go get this can you do that and then you just keep building on that and then before you know it you're eating incredible you feel incredible you're also eating enough calories that you don't feel hungry all the time. You don't feel like you're having to restrict to get there. Meanwhile, you're building muscle. You're starting to speed the metabolism up. And before you know it, that weight's dropping down the scale. So to me, it took me a long time to figure that out. And I'm still even learning like, oh my God, how much that applies to other aspects of my life, even what fatherhood looks like. Instead of me telling my son, you can't play on the iPad, son. I'm setting a goal for myself, take him outside. Mm-hmm. Wrestle, I mean, he'll never pass that de- or pass up wrestling with dad or playing tag or getting you know, So shame on me <clears throat> for trying to restrict and and tell him that instead. I'm going to try and and build things into his life so he's so busy he doesn't even know he's missing out on that. And so the same thing applies when it comes to nutrition, and that to me is the, some of the best advice I could give a client who's trying to lose lose any weight.
0: Yep. So that's that scarcity versus abundance mindset thing. And I I always use the example, you know, I was a nurse before I went full-time coaching, but I um, always use the example of, I I remember when you tell a patient, oh, you can't have anything to eat or drink, you know, you got surgery or whatever coming up. Or I say people, you know, when you go get blood work done in the morning and that morning you can't eat or drink anything before you go get your blood work done. Even if you don't eat breakfast, what do you want? You want your breakfast just because you know you can't eat or drink anything.
1: (laughs) So true. So true.
0: Well, Adam, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, where can people find you if they are not already in your network?
1: Uh, search MindPump. We're everyone. So uh, I, and I always recommend take advantage of all the free stuff. we got so much free content out there. Uh, if you're not on the YouTube channel, the podcast, Spotify, <clears throat> search Mind pump. take advantage of all the free content, MindPumpFree.com uh, that we have. And then if you need any digital programming for you, we have that. But uh, there's so much free stuff out there that we provide that I always tell people to just go take advantage of that first.
0: Awesome. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Adam. Thanks, Chase. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Chasing Health podcast. I greatly appreciate you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can help me by leaving a rating and review on Apple podcasts. This really helps me become more visible to others. Also share this episode with friends or family and take a screenshot of the episode and upload it to your stories. Be sure to tag me and my guests so we can be sure to say thank you. If you ever have any questions or feedback about something covered on the show, you're always welcome to send me a message. You can find me on Instagram at changing underscore chase. Have a great day, guys. And remember, you matter.